welcome. It's good to be with you. If you're new with us, my name's Tim Deal. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, I don't know how you experienced that at home. Hopefully that wasn't too jarring for you. Uh, but it is great to be with you. Um, it is no surprise, no mystery that we have experienced a good bit of disruption over the last year. Your lives have been disrupted, no doubt. Some in big ways, some in small ways, but they've all felt really significant. You know, I, I think about, uh, so my, my oldest daughter is involved in drama, and they, you know, she loves it. Every year they do a big spring show. This year they were going to do um, Into the Woods, I believe, was the, the show they were going to do. And, of course, they couldn't do that live, and so they ended up being really creative and doing this kind of uh, live streaming virtual thing that was really cool. Uh, but wasn't quite the same, right? Like she missed out on the, the long practices, hanging out with friends, um, the community bonding that happens and all of that. It, it just, it, it wasn't the same. It was hard. But relatively speaking, that's not, it's not a huge thing. I mean, it stinks for a bunch of those kids, but not huge. But then there were other things that were pretty, you know, maybe the next step higher, right? Very significant life events. I think marriage, how many of you have been to a wedding during COVID? Uh, I, I've been to one, I think just one, and it was weird, right? Like weddings in the midst of COVID are just kind of odd. Um, mask wearing and social distancing and all of those kinds of things in a context where you're typically like everyone's hugging each other and it's very close and there might be a lot of dancing and all of those things that you come to expect in that environment just aren't there. It's kind of strange. Or if you know of someone who had a baby, right? Like we've had a, several people in our community at Koinos have had babies during this time, which is very exciting. But for each of them, that's a very weird experience in the midst of COVID, right? Like it's not quite the same having a baby and having a couple of people in the room with you uh, to what now the kinds of restrictions that you deal with. And even at, before having a baby, like the kind of uh, anxiety that people experience about being around people, and then after having the baby and what that's like. All of these things have really just been kind of shaken up, things that we kind of had a vision for, like we know how this is going to go. Suddenly now everything's just disrupted. It's just different. COVID has kind of mixed everything up and turned it upside down, and we're all kind of figuring out how do, you, how do we move forward and flourish in the midst of life being really different than we thought it was going to be. So it's in that that we begin our series, our Advent series, that we're calling Disruption. Now, if you're here with us, you can see we have lots of, you know, our Christmas decorations are up. We're, we're getting excited about kind of moving towards Christmas uh, at home. I'm, I'm guessing some, maybe many of you uh, got your Christmas tree this weekend or started doing some Christmas decorations. Like we're all starting to look ahead. And Advent traditionally is this period of kind of marking the time towards the coming of the Christ child. It's this, this way in which we, we anticipate, we wait for Christ to come. And this year, as we go through the next few weeks moving up to Christmas Eve, we're going to journey with Mary, the young mother of Jesus. Um, we're going to kind of walk with her and observe the ways that Mary experiences this life-altering event, this very disruptive event that is the Christ child, and how she comes to trust God and even flourish in the midst of disruption. We're going to be looking mostly in Luke's gospel. Uh, there's four gospels, four biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Luke is the third. Luke 
tends to emphasize folks who more, were more marginalized by society. He, he kind of focuses in on um, the sick, on Gentiles, on women. And so it's no surprise that in Luke's gospel, we find kind of the most details about Mary's journey as she comes to kind of figure out what life is going to look like moving forward and how she can even find a good, flourishing life full of hope and peace and love and joy. And those are going to be our themes in the next four weeks. As we move towards Advent, we're going to look at these kind of traditional Advent themes of hope, peace, love, and joy, and how we see them in Mary's life. So this week, we're going to look at hope. Now, hope is something we don't often think a lot about, but it's essential to a life well-lived. It's, it's kind of like the background music to movies. Have you ever watched a movie that didn't have background music? Maybe not. It's, it's very uncommon, but there's a few out there. And if you've ever done it, it's a really odd experience because you don't realize how much the background music sets the trajectory of the film. Uh, there's some fun things on YouTube. Uh, if you want to Google it later, don't do it now, please. Even if you're at home, try to avoid it. But there's this, there are these, I, I think, what's the name of the one series? How Music Affects Film. I think it was done by some college students. And what they do is they take these very famous movie clips and they run different kinds of background music uh, behind the clip to give you an experience of how that changes the feel of the clip. But it's kind of funny because, you know, in some cases you find these really comical scenes, but if you change the background music a little bit, suddenly it's, it's like foreboding or menacing. And, and likewise, if you, you can find like a, a scene from a horror film or something that's supposed to be really menacing and you change the background music and suddenly you're like, Am I supposed to be laughing? Like, this is kind of, it's lighthearted, right? Like, it's just, it's amazing how much the background music sets the tone for the story. And hope is the background music for our lives. It's rarely front of mind, but it sets the tone for our lives, for the trajectory of our lives. Emily Dickinson, I think, said it really well when she wrote this. She says, Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. Hope is the background music. It's the thing that we need for our lives to go well. Without hope, even a, a fairly good life can, can kind of feel despairing. But with hope, even the most difficult times can be entered into with courage. So we're going to look at Mary and explore today how she finds hope. So uh, we're looking at Luke chapter 1, and, and we're going to hear about uh, how Luke shares the story of the announcement of Jesus' birth. So Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Uh, if you have a Bible, feel free to turn there. If you don't, we'll have it up on the screen, both at home and here. Luke writes, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, 
but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. So I wonder, as you listen to this story, which is probably familiar at some level, even if you've never read it before, the, the idea of an angel showing up, this is kind of all in the, the Christmas lore, even in our culture, so you're probably somewhat familiar. But I wonder as you hear that story, if you were Mary, how would you have responded? If you think about the situation, right, so, so Mary is a young girl in this kind of backwoods country town in Palestine in the first century. She doesn't have these big dreams for life. You know, she doesn't have some sense that she's going to change the world. Frankly, the, the best she can hope for is a life that can avoid as much suffering as possible, find a, a husband who will, who will care for her. Again, women have very little agency in this culture. So, She's not kind of dreaming of this career she can aspire to. The, the best she can hope for is to find a, a good man who she can marry, who will provide for her, create space for her to maybe have some kids. That, that's kind of all she's, that's the best she can hope for. That's the most she can want. A life of obscurity, but good. And then here comes this angel and disrupts all of that. I mean, she's kind of on the right track from everything we can read, right? Like, from what we know of Joseph, he's a good guy. He's, he's a carpenter. He's got a solid career. He's going to provide a good life for her. Everything looks like it's going in the right direction. And then this angel shows up and throws a monkey wrench into it. Disrupts the whole work. What would Mary's life look like moving forward? I mean, first of all, she had not planned on getting married or getting pregnant before she got married, no doubt. No one's going to believe her when she says, the Spirit of God is the one who impregnated me. We see that in, in Matthew's account. We, we see that in other places. They're going to think she's crazy, of course. Or that she's lying to cover up her immorality, that she was actually sleeping around with some other guy. And then what's the future for her once Joseph divorces her? and she's left on her own, who's going to want to marry her now that she's kind of got a reputation? This could go really badly for Mary. There's lots of good reasons for Mary to despair, to be hopeless. And yet, what we hear as this kind of scene comes to a close is Mary responding, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. There's this sense that she's filled with hope. She, she has a sense that things are going to be okay. This is all going to work out in spite of this massive disruption. Where does this come from? How is it that Mary's able to hold on to hope despite this? Well, as near as I can tell as I, as I look at this, 
there are two sources that we get from, from what the angel Gabriel says to her. These are God's presence and God's purpose. The two themes of Gabriel's announcement are God's presence and God's purpose. So the very first thing the angel greets Mary with is what? The Lord is with you, right? The Lord is with you. So to kind of prep her for this bombshell announcement that he's about to make, Gabriel, the first thing he says is a reassurance that the creator is with Mary. She's not alone. Now, if you think about that, that's a powerful statement, right? From, from the jump, the thing you need to know is that God is present with you. That changes how she's going to experience the news that's about to come. You know, I, I think about a very different example, but I was trying to think about, like, what's, how do I see this play out in other areas? And I think about sometimes, you know, if you have kids or if you've been a kid, you've had the experience where a parent has given you instructions to do something, right? It's just part of the gig, right? Go do this. And while it's not always different, I've found that there tends to be a different experience between when you instruct a child to go do something and when you invite a child to do something with you, even if they're the same things, right? That one is giving someone a task to accomplish. Another is inviting someone to partner with you in accomplishing something. Now, they might not like either one of them, but I tend to find that there's, there's just a different feel when the invitation is to do something with you as opposed to do something for you. Instead of feeling put upon, the, the child almost feels partnered with. Again, not universal. I'm sure I have parents who are sitting there going, yeah, last time I asked my kid to do something, it did not go like that. But by and large, when you compare the two, you tend to see there's a more positive experience when you're invited into something with someone than just given a task to accomplish. I'm sure you experience this at work as well. When, when you feel like someone isn't just telling you what to do, but they're doing it with you, helping you along the way, there's just a different sense of agency and hopefulness about where it can go. And this is the angel's assurance to Mary. Yet, you're about to hear something pretty heavy, but the first thing you need to know is that you're not alone, that God is entering into this difficult space with Mary, literally entering into her, right? God is becoming the child that she has to carry, but at the same time, the Spirit is with her, enabling her to do the thing that she can't do on her own. God's presence. But then God's purpose. The angel, along with saying God is with you, also kind of lays out these kind of broad strokes plan for this is what God is up to. Now, it's not super specific. He doesn't go into details about like what Jesus' life and ministry will look like, what his teaching will be. Certainly doesn't mention the crucifixion or the resurrection, the kind of pain that she will experience as a mother watching her son go through this. Doesn't go into all of that. But he does lay out in broad strokes that this is all going somewhere. That God is actually at work. He has this unfolding plan. And this is central to that plan. So Mary, I know this is heavy, but it is part of what God is up to. To bring about God's purposes in the world. It's this dual kind of invitation into trust in God's presence and God's purpose. That enables Mary to engage this disruption with a sense of hope. 
This isn't what I wanted. This isn't how I imagined my life going. But I can trust that the author of my story isn't just kind of writing it and viewing it from, a, from afar, but is entering into it with me and partnering with me and, and unfolding it. God's purpose and God's presence are the things that bring hope to Mary. And I would suggest they're the things that bring hope to us as well. As you look throughout the New Testament, the promises we hear again and again draw us back to this sense of God's presence and God's purpose. The last thing that Jesus says to his disciples when he sends them out is, surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I mean, he gives them some instructions about what they ought to do, but then he promises that he will be with them as they do it. God's presence and God's purpose. Not that it's all going to go well. Never do we really get any kind of promise in the New Testament, despite what we sometimes might hear from, from other voices about, well, if you do the right thing, life will just work out for you. We don't actually hear that in the New Testament. In fact, many of those who followed Jesus faced immense difficulty and struggle. But they did it with an underlying sense that they were part of this grander story that God was telling, and that the one who was authoring the story was actually present with them, even in the midst of suffering. So even things that were hard had redemptive value. God was able to bring life from things that felt like death. He was able to bring order from things that felt like chaos. God is at work in our stories, even in the midst of disruption. God's presence and God's purpose. So our hope is ultimately found not in the ease of life, but in the faithfulness of God. Our hope isn't rooted in our plans coming to fruition, but in God being faithful to God's promises to be present and to work out his purposes. There's a line in here, it's, it's verse 37, where in, I read from the New Living Translation, and the New Living Translation, along with a lot of other translations, interpret what the angel says as, for the word of God will never fail. Now, what happens in translation, if you, if you mess with languages at all at any level, or maybe you just remember like high school Spanish or something, um, when you're translating a phrase from one language to the next, there can be kind of layers of meaning. And so often in the tr work of translation, you're trying to tease out what is the best kind of angle to take at this. They all kind of mean the same thing, but there are different angles, right? And so a lot of the translators took this angle because Gabriel's talking both about God's promise to Elizabeth coming true and the promise that he's making to Mary. And so they translated that as, for the word of God will never fail. This is a good translation. But another angle on that, um, that some other translators have made, one of them being N.T. Wright, who's a New Testament scholar, he translates it. It's the same idea, but a little bit of a different angle. This is how he translates it. With God, you see, nothing is impossible. With God, you see, nothing is impossible. And I really, I, I like that translation. I think it's helpful for me because... We're, when we think about ourselves and the place that we find ourselves right now in the midst of this disruption, it's easy to feel like the end of our plans is the end of the plan, right? Like the things that we had planned and hoped for aren't going to happen. 
and so we feel kind of lost. But with God, you see, nothing's impossible. Now, that doesn't mean, I, I don't think it's not quite the same thing as going, you know, just whatever you want to do, work hard at it, and with God, all things are possible. But in the context of God's plan to bring about the renewal of all things, the renewal of us, the renewal of the world, it doesn't matter. Like, our, de- our trust that that is going to happen, that God is at work in bringing about the renewal of all things, that God's saving plan in Christ to rescue us and to rescue the world, it doesn't matter that there's a pandemic or, or how you feel about how the election went or, or what is going on on the global stage. None of that alters our hope that God is still at work in bringing about his purposes to rescue us and rescue the world. And his invitation to us continues to be, no matter what's going on around us, no matter how our plans have been disrupted, we still get invited to partner with God in that work of renewal in his purposes in the world. Because again, our hope is found not in the ease of life, but in the faithfulness of God. As we bring this time to a close this morning, there's this passage in um, the New Testament that I think articulates this beautifully. And so as we close, I'm going to invite Emily Hershey to come up, and she's actually just going to read from uh, a modern translation called The Message from Romans chapter 8. And as she reads, uh, Dan's going to play a little music in the background, and I just want to invite you to take a moment and to just listen. We're going to have the scripture up on the screen. So you can just read along both at home and here. And just listen as Emily reads, read along, reflect on the words. Um, And then I'll come up at the end to close us and to have a couple of questions for you to ponder. All around us, we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pangs. But it's not only around us, it's within us. The Spirit of God is arousing us within. We're also feeling the birth pangs. These sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. That is why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what is enlarging us. But the longer we wait, the larger we become, and the more joyful our expectancy. Meanwhile, the moment we get tired in the waiting, God's Spirit is right alongside us, helping us along. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in and for us, making prayer out of our wordless sighs, our aching groans. He knows us far better than we know ourselves, knows our pregnant condition, and keeps us present before God. That's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. So what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself, 
to the worse by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would dare even to point a finger? The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment sticking up for us. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There is no way. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. They killed us in cold blood because they hated you. We're sitting ducks, they pick us off one by one. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. So as we end our time together, I'm going to invite you, uh, the worship team's going to come up and they're going to lead us in a final song. I just want to invite you to, to reflect on the passage that Emily read and this idea of hope. And we have a couple of questions we're going to put up on the screen. If they're helpful, I just want to invite you to reflect on them. But if there's something more from the passage that stuck with you, I invite you to kind of stick with that and reflect on what the Spirit might be saying to you from that passage. The questions I want to invite you to think about as we go into our final song is this. Um, number one, what disruption have you experienced this year? Maybe it's multiple. In what ways have you experienced disruption? And then secondly, and this might be a difficult question, but I invite you to kind of just sit in it and think about it. How have you experienced God's presence in the midst of that disruption? Where has God been present? And maybe you feel like God hasn't, and that could be something that you could take up in prayer with God as well. So I'm going to pray for us. We'll leave these questions on the screen, and then uh, the band will lead us in a final song. We, we long to know your presence and to be reminded of your purposes. Would you be at work by your spirit in giving us courage, in bringing to our memory or to our attention the ways that you are present in our lives? And remind us that you are inviting us into partnership with you in your work of rescue that you began and continue in Christ and even in and through us. May we have a renewed sense of hope today and every day. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.